0: welcome to At The Drive-In. I'm Tamira and this is a podcast where I talk about movies from the 30s to the 60s. So I look at the plot, the themes, the characters, any funny anecdotes, and pretty much anything that's worth mentioning about the movie. So today I'm going to be discussing one of the most famous movies of the 50s and pretty much one of the most famous movies uh, that we have from the past and it is none other than Rebel Without a Cause. A coming-of-age story which focuses on the struggles of youth so it's it was directed by Nicholas Ray and it stars Salmoneo Natalie Wood and of course James Dean in one of the three movies he played the main character because there's a lot of movies where he played very minor roles and um, he actually never got to see this movie because he died a month before it came out in a car crash he was just 24 years old this is really really sucks Anyhow, so we're gonna start with the summary, which is always not my favorite part because it's, it's surprisingly difficult to summarize movies and books, so here we go. So there's this kid called Jim Stark, who's played by James Dean, and he's arrested for being drunk out of his skull. He's literally on the floor giggling and he's playing with a toy monkey, covering it with some garbage. Needless to say, it's a great way to start a movie. It really is. So in the police station, we're introduced to two other teenagers that have also been arrested. One goes by the name of Plato and he's been arrested for killing a litter of puppies. And then there's Judy who's arrested for curfew violation. All of these teenagers reveal why they're troubled to the police officer. So for example, Judy has a very rocky relationship with her father. She feels like he doesn't care about her anymore because she's not a little girl anymore. She's blossoming, she's becoming a woman. And because he disregards her and dismisses her, this makes her rebel even more straight and get his attention. And she does this by, for example, putting on bright red lipstick and going out and flirting. And um, this, in turn, makes him much angrier. Plato, well, Plato's trouble is that he's basically being abandoned by his parents. His father left when he was a kid, and his mother is always working or is always out, and so he's basically... Always alone and being taken care of by a woman that works at the house. And then there's Jim, who's very disturbed by the dynamic between his parents and also the fact that they're always bickering. This is when the very, very, very famous scene takes place. You're tearing me apart! And it's some superb acting, I gotta say. Anyhow, the reason why the dynamic between their parents is quite weird is because Uh, Jim's father is quite a shy man, and he doesn't really stand up to his wife, whereas it's usually his mother who uh, takes control of the situation. And this really unsettles Jim. And he confesses to the police officer that he resents his father for his mannerisms and that he doesn't want to be anything like him. So they get out, all of them get out, and then it cuts to the next day where Jim starts at the high school. And the very first thing planned on the first day of school is a trip to the planetarium because apparently field trips happen the first day of school, which I was never aware of, but I wish that happened at my school. (laughs) And so they go to the planetarium and um, there's a presentation about the cosmos. And during this, Jim tries to appear cool by disrupting the lecture a bit. And then Plato warns him that he's going to get on the wrong side of the the gang, the school, the kind of greaser. Guys, um, and then there's this really powerful moment during the presentation where, because they're looking up at the stars that are being projected, and suddenly this like giant explosion is shown, and it really freaks people out. Especially Plato ends up hiding, and um, Jim Jim has to like <laughs> like try to fish him out of there afterwards. And um, so anyhow, when they when they ends one of the leaders of the school gang called Buzz, who's also Judy's boyfriend, challenges Jim to a knife tool by calling him a chicken. Chicken is the word that makes Jim lose his mind. I mean, he he can't take it. He cannot take being called a chick. And we're going to kind of look into this after. But So basically, that's what gets him rearing. He he starts fighting. And um, by this point, Plato and Jim have gotten quite close in like the span of half a day. (laughs) So Plato is basically there trying to help him and supporting him, but he's basically being held back by some of Buzz's um, gang friends. And so it's a knife duel, right? And then at one point, Jim has Buzz pinned up against the wall. And to preserve his honor, Buzz challenges Jim to a chicky run. So a chicky run is basically where um, two guys, who are obviously dumbasses, race two cards towards a cliff. And the last one to jump out of the car before it flies off the cliff wins. (laughs) Jesus. Anyhow, so Jim goes back home after all this, after having agreed to do the chicky run. And he asks his dad what he should do to defend his honor. Because, yes, he didn't like being called a chicken, but he also didn't want to be involved in something stupidly violent and extremely reckless. And his dad, who you know, Jim doesn't really look up to. He says that he should avoid any type of confrontation. And this makes Jim a bit ashamed of his father. Not only for his stand down answer, but also for the fact that he found him on his knees, wearing an apron, and taking food to his wife. Because he was on his knees because the food had spilled, basically. So Jim ends up going to the place where they're supposed to be meeting, and just before the race, Buzz pulls Jim away, and he tells him that he actually likes him. And Jim's says then like why are we doing this then and and buzz is like well what else can we do and this is significant for afterwards and uh, so keep that in mind um anyhow buzz ends up hurtling off the cliff and dying because his jacket got stuck in the um the door handle and jim feels responsible for buzz's death so he tells his parents about his involvement and he says that he's planning to give himself up to the police and to admit about what's happened. And then he has a fight with his parents because his mother's telling him not to go to the police, to not give himself up and to give himself a chance because he's still young and this could totally ruin his future if he admits that he was involved in something, um, in a crime. And then, and then Jim asks his father to defend him because Jim still wants to go and his dad doesn't do anything. And... (laughs) Jim goes absolutely crazy. I mean, he he gets so, so pissed off, and he just attacks his dad. He starts trying to strangle his dad. After this, Jim leaves, and he ends up going to the police station. And at, by this point, there are three members of Buzz's gang that have taken over, basically, after he died. And they see Jim go into the police station, and they think that he's going to rat them out, and that he's going to get everyone into trouble. So Jim does go in, and that is his intention, but... Um, The guy, the police officer that listened to him before the first time he was arrested isn't there. So they send him away thinking he's just some dumb kid. And so when Jim gets back home, he finds Judy waiting for him because apparently they live really close by. And Judy apologizes for how she had treated him due to the peer pressure and how the way she had treated him before, which was coldly and mockingly, wasn't really what she meant and how she felt. And they're both discussing about homes are circuses and just chaotic and how they can never go back home again. And Jim suggests going to this old abandoned mansion that Plato mentioned before. During this conversation, the three gang guys attack Plato and they try to make him say where Jim is. Um, And they, well, he obviously doesn't tell them, but they managed to steal his address book and, um... And they leave to try to find Jim. And then Plato runs back home and he grabs a gun, planning on finding Jim and to tell him that he's being chased. So Plato finds them in the mansion. And then this funny kind of... Well, it's kind of endearing, but also a little peculiar. This peculiar game takes place where they kind of pretend they're this big, happy family. So, for example, when Plato calls for them outside of the door... Jim and Judy come down the stairs, and they pretend they're a newlywed couple looking for a house, and that Plato is this a- a house agency guy who's showing them around, and at one point, they're all sitting down um, really close to each other, kind of draping all over each other, and it, they really look like a little family, and uh, Pl- Plato falls asleep, and then Jim and Judy go to explore the rest of the mansion, and then they share a little kiss. Anyhow, <laughs> Plato wakes up and he finds that he is surrounded by the gang members, and he's really distraught and shocked because he, he feels like Jim and Judy have abandoned him. And he shoots at one of the gang guys, um, doesn't kill them, but he runs away. And Jim hears the gunshot and he goes to see what all the commotion is about. And Plato, in his distress, he shoots at him. And then Jim tackles him to the floor, asking him what the hell he's doing. And Plato shouts at him and he's saying, how could you leave me? You abandoned me. You promised you wouldn't. And then Jim tries to explain, but Plato is really kind of out of his mind at this point. So he runs away, right? And he actually runs to the planetarium of that morning and he shuts himself in. Because all this has happened in one day. Can you even believe it? It's literally insane. Anyhow. So Plato's stuck in the planetarium, and at this point, the police are involved because the woman who looks after Plato has informed them that he has left with a gun, and Jim's parents are also there because they've informed the police that Jim has escaped, and they have heard the gunshots, and so they're surrounding the planetarium. Jim and Judy have also made their way to the planetarium, and they managed to slip in. So Judy kind of stays behind because Jim's like, listen... Let me handle this. I'm the one who messed up, and I'm going to be the one to fix this. Plato is hiding in the projection room, and it's very dark, and this guy has a loaded gun, so Jim's kind of weary, to say the least. Anyhow, he goes in slowly, and he's talking to Plato the whole time, trying to, trying to comfort him, saying that, no, they didn't abandon Plato. They would never abandon Plato. They were just, they were just going to explore the house and then come right back, and... So keeping this kind of com- comforting conversation going on to just kind of put Plato more at ease. And so then he um, gets to the end and Jim gives Plato his jacket and eventually manages to give Plato to hand him the gum just for a minute to look at it. He just says, I just want to look at it. And whilst he's looking at it and Plato's talking about something, he manages to take the bullets out and he gives it back to, to the Plato, the gun, but it's empty this time because this guy's really smart. Um anyhow. So Plato's much more relaxed. Um well, okay. Um <laughs> I say that a little bit too confidently. He's uh, he's not as crazy as before. But anyhow, so they come out slowly and um Jim has signaled at the police to turn the lights down because it was freaking Plato out a little bit. But then the police see that Plato is still armed. So immediately they flash the lights again and this causes Plato to panic, and so he rushes forward. The police believe that Plato is potentially a threat to them, so they shoot at him, and they kill him. There's a scene where Jim like holds his hand out with the bullets, and he's just shouting, saying, I got the bullets, and his face is distraught. Oh God, it was, what a scene. Anyhow, the movie ends with Jim zipping up his red jacket on Plato. And also him introducing his parents to Judy. Which, you know, it's not the best circumstance to introduce your parents to your new girlfriend. But hey, and that's the call he made, so, uh, <laughs> can't change that. Um, but there's also, the, the scene also that's very poignant at the end is, um, Plato's caretaker is just crying over his body, and he's, she's just saying how he's just a, a boy, you know? It's a rough ending. It's rough. Um, yeah, that was it. And wow. In a way, this movie was revolutionary, not only because of the topics tackled, but also because of the stance that is taken with regards to those topics, which is one of sympathy and empathy. And there's this sympathetic view of the struggle of youth and adolescence, where, at the time, you know, adolescents were seen as these rebellious, disrespectful, disgusting <laughs> beings, listening to rock and roll, wearing leather jackets and wearing too much stuff in their head, pomade or whatever. And yeah, you can ju- when you picture those fifties kids, you can just imagine like an old person shaking their head and just looking at them with a scowl, you know. But in this movie the rebellious actions are explored and are shown in the light of deeper issues so there's a lot to this movie and i think the best way to delve into it is through the different themes that are presented throughout the movie so one of the big big themes is that of adolescence so in the movie they're supposed to be 16 and minea was actually 16 which i learned yesterday and that really shocked me. I, I don't know why. Because, you know, when whenever you have, like, um, characters in a movie that are supposed to be teenagers, you always have, like, 20-year-olds playing them. So I was like, holy moly. That's amazing. And Wood was 17. Almost 18, I think. Even though she looks like she's in her 20s, at least. I don't even know how she, how anybody could look like that at 17. That's insane. And Dean was the oldest. He was 24. I mean, come on. I mean, Dean just certainly does not look like he's a 16-year-old guy. I mean... He 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 even looks older than 24. He looks like he's in his 30s or something. It's insane. But anyhow, the theme of adolescence. Judy, Jim, and Plato seem to be in a limbo between childhood and adulthood. Judy wants to remain the little girl who gets to kiss her dad and have the same close relationship, but physically she's becoming a woman. And although she doesn't want her relationship with her father to change and she still wants to remain, in a way, that little girl, because she's developing physically and mentally and maturing, this leads to her being treated differently, even against her will. Jim wants to be independent, but he still wishes he could rely on his parents' advice, especially his father. He wants to be able to seek advice from his dad, hence why he asks him about what he should do. And in a way, he also wants to be protected by his father from the nagging and bossiness of his mother, almost like a child would. And then there's Plato, who in some regards acts like a child for sure. He's totally naive. He creates a little fantasy in his head, like a child would, pretending that Jim is his best friend or his dad or even his lover. But at the same time, he has this incredible ability for violence which belongs more in the world of adulthood and far away from the innocence of childhood. So they're they're in this kind of state. They're in this no man's land between being children and being adults. And I think this is the point that Ray is really trying to, to make the audience think about, is that adolescence is neither child or adult. It's something else. It's a special phase, and it needs to be thought of as something different, you know, because it isn't as black and white as... Child, adult. There's something there. There's a gray zone that's very hard to navigate. So that's a big theme. Adolescence. Then another big theme is masculinity. The movie follows Jim in his exploration of what it means to be a man. So as everyone else during that time, he has this idea of what a man should be like, but he lacks a proper role model to to emulate. He sees his father as this weak and submissive man, with his mother taking on the more suitability-dominant father role by deciding when they're going to move and by telling uh, her husband what to do most of the time. This really disturbs Jim, who has most likely grown up being fed with this idea of what a man, what a father should be like. So in control, a bit, a bit aggressive, and definitely not letting his wife overshadow him or boss him around in any way. And then he has this idea so ingrained in his mind of what a man should be like. And he he's so disturbed by his father's conduct that to the point where he actually attacks his dad when he does not stand up for him during a fight with his mother. And there's also a scene where his father is cleaning a dish that he's dropped and that he'd been taking up to his wife who wasn't feeling well. And he was wearing this, this flowery little apron, which I thought looked great on him. But anyhow, uh, Jim, Jim just looks at him with this face of just shame and almost, almost in desperation at the way his dad acts, which he thinks is pathetic, you know? So Jim has this kind of obsessive idea of what a man should be like, and he resents his father relentlessly for not meeting that standard that Jim expects and that has been ingrained in his, in his head. And in this world the world of the 50s, I should say, and in the teenage world as well. This world is about proving oneself and about honor, which is obviously inextricably linked to this idea of masculinity. Jim is torn between two forms of masculinity that do not suit him. So on the one side, it's his father, who is this passive, who represents this passive sort of masculinity. And on the other side, the other extreme is Buzz and his gang, which represent this exceedingly violent... And reckless masculinity. And although Jim disagrees with this reckless violence and he, it's his last resort, he feels like he has no other choice but to follow it. This movie also shows how difficult it is for men to express emotions and gentleness while still retaining their identity as a man. And in an in interesting way, Jim does break this because He's not really afraid of showing that he cares. For example, he, he shows that he cares for Plato. He, in the first scene when he's in the police station um, and he's drunk out of his ass, he offers Plato his jacket and he also offers Plato his jacket later on in the movie and he's not afraid of comforting Plato when he's scared after the planetarium projection and also at the end in the planetarium again when when Plato is hiding away with his gun. And Jim also breaks away from the stereotypical manly type by having some typically, typically female characteristics. So Judy comments um, that his lips are soft and that she fell in love with him because he's gentle. And in a way, he's he doesn't represent either masculinity of the movie. He's very reluctant to get involved in hyper-masculine activities like the chicky run and the knife tool. And it's not shown as wrong, you know? They're not showing Jim as being this cowardly guy who's not really a man, right? Um, but it's interesting. He's a really interesting character. But he's obviously has this internal struggle with having a a gentleness to him, but this being considered wrong in the world that he's living in. It's a really interesting topic, and I really think it's still relevant today because there's still this idea of masculinity ingrained in some people and what a man should be like and what man, mas, man should stand for and it's it's insane as a men are dealing with notions of masculinity that have remained the same for 70 years you know it's really time for a change i believe um anyhow really interesting so another big theme that is in the movie is that of rebellion and a very unique aspect of this movie is the way that adolescent behavior is portrayed So instead of adolescents being presented as these self-obsessed kids and as being inherently malicious, the movie shows how their behavior is due to a variety of complex factors. So, in fact, the movie holds the adults as accountable for the wayward behavior of the teenagers for not properly guiding them. This is specifically evident in Plato's life where his parents are not even there, they're both absent. It's also showed in Judy's life where her father does not know how to handle her growing up, so he treats her like an ass, basically. he He's really mean to her. And so, through this movie, adults are criticized for being impatient and for not being sensitive enough to understand the emotional world of teenagers, which is, as I said before, not black and white, not child, not adult. It's this own world of its own. It's its own Thing. An example of adults being impatient and not being empathetic and sensitive enough can be seen in uh, the last s- few scenes where, for example, after the exchange between Plato and Jim in the planetarium where they exchanged the gun and the jacket and they had reached a form of agreement and respect and love, the adults completely shatter this by killing Plato. The adults just see Plato as this armed juvenile delinquent, but Jam sees him for what he really is, and that's just a terrified young boy. It's very fascinating how this movie just totally changes your perspective on things, and it was quite revolutionary for the time because I really don't think... Well, let's be honest. Teenagers have not been respected for pretty much all of history. (laughs) I think every generation finds teenagers kind of irritating and annoying and loud and messy and did i say annoying (laughs) but teenagers have this completely unique way of looking at the world and interacting with it that's usually ignored and teenagers are feeling things that people can't even imagine they have hormones racing all over their bodies like and driving them nuts and they feel everything so intensely and they so dramatic and everything and people forget about this people forget people forget what it be what's like to be an adolescent and to be a teenager and they don't cut them any slack that's what this movie does cuts them some slack but in a much more deep way <laughs> really effective gotta say so those are some of the big big themes and then there are other themes that are also quite big Um, But they're much more subtle. This one specifically is very subtle because we're talking about the 1950s. The 1950s. And that theme is homoeroticism in the movie. There is an underlying homoerotic current throughout the movie. This can clearly be seen in Plato's attitude towards Jim. He is clearly smitten. He's besotted. And... Although there is that aspect to their relationship that is potentially father-son, um there's also this it's also clear that it could be more than that. It could be it could be non-platonic love. But of course it's the fifties and they have to be extremely subtle about it. But it is said that Ray, the director, wanted Maneo's character to be inferred as gay, even though because of the haze Code, the hints had to be very, very subtle. So on one hand, there's that clear infatuation that Plato has with Jim. And then there's this sexual tension between Buzz and Jim. Now, Buzz admits that he likes Jim and that he didn't really want to take part in the chickie run. He calls Jim names like interesting and abstract and different and it is clear that he's intrigued by him. He even makes sure that Jim knows how to jump and roll out of the car before the chicky run, so he really cares about him. And the sexual tension that's there and that's particularly um, emphasized when they, they share a cigarette, um, Buzz plucks it out of Jim's mouth and you know takes to drag That's quite, in in, I mean, of course it's all very subtle, right? And of course somebody's going to be like, oh my God, you're reading too much into it. But knowing the history of the director and actually knowing his intentions, which was this precisely, (laughs) it's undeniable. Anyhow, this sexual intention is totally bashed. It's destroyed. But they need to prove themselves as manly by doing the chicky run, which ultimately ends in Buzz's death. This is a lot, there's a lot of you know, if you, if you really look at it, and if you really are willing to accept it, there is a lot of gay stuff in this movie, you know. And there's this popular rumor that apparently during filming, Dean told Mineo to look at me the way I look at Natalie. So I'm not sure if this is true, but holy damn, I wish it was. I wish it was, because it would be fantastic. Um, so those are the main themes of the movie that are worth mentioning. And then there are several symbols, images, and motifs that are also important to mention and that make an appearance throughout the movie. So for example, there is the symbol of the abandoned mansion. Although the house is abandoned, it represents this place of hope. This place that Judy, Jim, and Plato can fill with the things that matter to them, which is a family. They feel like the house they live in is empty. The houses they live in with the families are empty, but that the actual empty mansion provides a space they can fill with love and affection. And it, the mansion represents these sort of freedom that they don't have at that moment, but which, because another great thing about most teenagers, I have to say, <laughs> this generation is kind of not looking too good, but many g- teenagers are idealistic. And that's a good thing, in a good, in, in a certain degree, but it's a good thing. And so it kind of represents their idealism about the future and their freedom and everything. And then there's the symbol of Jim Stark himself, you know? Jim represents a whole generation of teenagers full of angst, turmoil, and who feel alienated from their previous generations, which were so different from them. And then along the years, James Dean himself, maybe because of his powerful acting or the way he super he suited the character so well, she, James Dean himself got rolled into this image and it became associated with him and that stayed with him and became part of his legacy, is representing teenagers, the generation of teenagers and this isolation that teenagers feel. So, Jim Stark, big simple. <laughs> And then there is the red jacket. Who can forget the iconic red jacket? The first thing you see in the poster. The first thing you see and think, holy shit, I wish I looked that good in a red jacket. (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't? Wow. That red jacket, that's what you think about when you... Well, obviously amongst other things, but that's in there. It's in there. Um, The red jacket symbolizes Jim's decision to step into the world of violence and recklessness exerted upon teenagers. So he puts it on before going to the chicky run. And um, also after he asked his dad for advice, which he did not give with a lot of satisfaction. And if you think about it, just in a point of really like just uh, fashion, right? The red jacket is super different from all the things that Jim was wearing before. Cause Jim, let's, got his, let's say, I mean, I love it. I really love the way he dressed, but Jim did not have a very great sense of fashion. <laughs> he wore these like suits, tweed suits that were way too big for him. I thought, I, I thought he looked freaking great. I thought he looked fantastic. I love that. I dig it so much. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, you know, but then the red jacket, he suddenly really looks super different. He looks like he could be part of a gang, right? He changes. It, the red jacket helps him change completely his self, his identity almost. And that helps with the way he acts, right? It almost helps mold to that character that he's forced to play, which is the more violent, reckless guy. Anyhow, in the end, Jim takes his red jacket off when he gives it to Plato, and it's the red jacket that he zips up over Plato's body in the end, and this, is, this demonstrates this resignation from that violence and that reckless world in favor of seeking gentleness and stability. And although Yes, it, it seems like a, it's going to be a new start for Jim, that he's decided that he's not going to live in that world of violence. It's still too late for Plato, you know? So there's this kind of bittersweet. For me, it's more bitter because, you know, this kid died. It's not good. Anyhow, the last symbol I'm going to be talking about is that of the dawn. So when Plato is hiding in the planetarium with a gun, and he's having this exchange with Jim, Jim's trying to comfort him and get him to talk. Plato asks Jim if he thought the world would end at night. Jim, enigmatically and without explanation, I don't think, he says, no, he thinks it would end at dawn. The final shot of the movie, after Plato has died, is that of the planetarium from high above. And you can just start to see the light of the sun brighten up the sky. And also, you kind of see in the corner them taking Plato's body away. And suddenly it hits you and you're like, wow, like Plato's world really did end at dawn, you know? And holy crap. When you, oh God, when you realize that, it's, oh, it sent shivers down my spine because I didn't realize it the first time I watched it. I had to think about it. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) I mean, this movie, this movie is wow. It's such a good movie, dude. You just watch it again and again. Also, the acting, holy cannoli. The acting is just brilliant, you know? All of them, everybody. What a trio. Anyhow. (laughs) Also, I really like, um, I think Jim's dad was played really super well. Anyhow. The conclusion to this episode is that this is one hell of a movie it's got drama, it's got action, it's got tragedy, it's got superb acting, it's got some nice shots, though, unfortunately, I don't know enough about that to comment on it, but, um, I'm sure the people out there who really appreciate the way it was filmed, um, and the one thing that really struck me when I first watched this movie is, is the main character, is Jim, okay, who, is totally not like the stereotypical manly heartthrob you'd expect to see in all these 50s movies, you know? who These men, these main Hollywood men that are all manly. Their voices are, like, deep, and they're handsome, and God knows what else. He acts, Jim, I should say James Dean, but Jim in the movie, he acts super goofy. I mean, I remember the first time I watched the movie, and I was just plain shocked um, because I had never seen somebody act like James Dean did uh, never I mean it's small things the way he laughs for example the way he laughs in the movie is so is kind of silly like it's it's really high-pitched and his whole face scrunches up and he has this really his cheeks get really um <laughs> his cheeks get really squished I don't, I don't know how to explain it um that was bizarre. I've never heard somebody laugh like that. It was wonderful. I gotta say it was wonderful, but um, and also the way that he weirdly drapes himself over the car on his tummy whilst he's talking to j uh Judy, sorry, <laughs> but he's talking to Judy and saying that he should go to the mansion. These small things, these small expressions and actions, mannerisms that really brought the character alive, even the first shot of. Of the way he's giggling you know on the on the on the ground and playing with a toy monkey that's when you feel really like like you feel really endeared you know i mean I god i think i really think this is what makes james dean's acting really really good the way he plays his characters i've never seen anything like it really I hope you enjoyed the episode. I certainly did. I thought it was really fun to research specifically. Cause you know when you watch a good movie and then you find out that there's so much more to it than you even expected, it makes it so much better, man. So I hope you enjoyed it. This was a first super super big movie. Um I don't think I did it justice, but you know what? I tried my best and I do think I mentioned some important things. The themes really interesting. So I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll join me next time as we delve into another movie, which I have not picked yet, but I hope it'll be fun. It'll definitely be fun. (laughs) That's really optimistic, but (laughs) let's just stick with that. Anyhow, have a wonderful evening.